uh, to find each other and also what's going on around here. Um, if you do that, if you don't have a login, just, just go to that site, request a login, and we will respond to that and let you in, and then you can, uh, we can send you our updates and emails, et cetera, so that you are up to speed on what's going on around here. Then um, Tuesday nights at 7, we have a Zoom Bible study that follows along with the content that we are developing in uh, our Sunday mornings through, the, through our sermons. So it's following along with the Messiah Song series. And uh, we will be in chapter 7 this week, which we are studying this morning, or most of it anyway. And uh, so I encourage you to zoom in Tuesdays at 7 for that. We have youth group. Tonight at 5.15, we are going to meet via Zoom for a workshop to begin uh, working on uh, our summer youth sermon series. So if those youth who are, who are going to do that want to Zoom in, we will start uh, developing the content for our summer youth sermon series. So um, that's what we're doing tonight at 5.15. Encourage those who are that age from 6th grade through 12th to zoom in and uh, we will get that process rolling. I think that's everything we got for now. So why don't we have all of the important people in the room come forward at this time for our children's chat before they go to Hope for Kids. Good morning, good morning. If you are in fifth grade or younger, you are invited up for our children's chat at this time. And Esther, I love getting your um, messages, yes, on the response card. Like makes my week every day, every week. So thank you. Um, well, how are y'all doing? All right. Okay. Uh, let's see. What would be a good name for a baby? What do you think would be a good name for a Jesus would be a good name for a baby? <laughs> Always the correct answer at the children's chat. She nailed it. Very good. Very good. Can't argue that. Any other name ideas for a baby? Like if somebody was going to have a baby, what, what might you want to call it? What? <laughs> Are we? Holly, okay. What? Can you spell that? Ollie? Ollie, okay. That's a good one. Rose, Rose met someone named Ollie yesterday, Esther. Just yesterday she met someone named Ollie. Okay, Ollie, Jesus. What other names did you have? Miriam? That's a good baby name. Any other good names? Nah. That's a boring name. That's like Bob. Nobody names a baby that. You So what do you think? What will be what would be a good name for a baby? Jesus again. Okay. So <coughs> in the Old Testament, there was a prophet named Isaiah, and he talked about a baby that was going to be born. And you know what name he said we should call the baby? Emmanuel. 
Can you say that? Say Emmanuel. Emmanuel, yes. It's just like, it's like the word in the song we just sang at church. That's right. Okay. What do you think the baby name Emmanuel means? Well, I'll just go ahead and tell you because it's a hard one to guess. Because I'm just, I'm going to just jump out there and assume you're not fluent in, in ancient Hebrew. Okay. Right. We're, we agree. So, the name Emmanuel, what? A cake, a foxy cake for your birthday. This is what's called the non sequitur, ladies and gentlemen. I love them. All right, <laughs> so Emmanuel was a baby name that the prophet Isaiah gave to a baby who was going to be born, and it means God is with us. God is with us. Why do you think God would want you to know that, that he is with you? Have you ever been sad? Have you ever been sad? Yes? God is with you. Have you ever been happy? Never? Never been happy? You're always happy? God is with you, right? Have you ever been sent to your room by your parents? To just kind of chill? Yeah, God is with you. Right? You ever been on the playground? God is with you. Right? Yes, God is with you. So wherever you are, wherever you go, whatever you do, guess what? God is with you. God loves you. God is with you. The Bible tells us that God is with us. And God would send a baby who would be born into this world whose name was Jesus to, to prove that God wants to be with us. Can I pray with you guys before you go to Hope for Kids? All right. Dear God, thank you that you are the God who is with us. Thank you for being with us everywhere we go and everything we do. When we're awake and when we're asleep, your love covers us. Lord, help us to live in the truth of that knowledge that we might live as though we know that you are with us, that you love us, that you go before us in everything we do. I pray your blessing over these children as they study more of your word and hope for kids this morning. Fill them with your Holy Spirit and lead them into a deeper understanding of your love for them through Jesus Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a great time in hope for kids. All right. Well, we are in the midst of a series of messages right now that we're, we're moving through the book of Isaiah. And this is an Old Testament book. It's a, the prop written by the prophet Isaiah. And <coughs> it will carry us through a period in Israel's history where God is at work, where he is moving, where he is speaking to his people. We will see kings of, of Judah, the kingdom where Isaiah is the prophet, that are both bad and good. Um, but uh, we've been looking at these different portions of the book of Isaiah each week and trying to derive from them one kind of key thematic idea and then looking at the passages in that section for 
uh, what God would say to us as his children today. And so to that end, I would like to invite you to pray with me as we prepare our hearts for God's word this morning, and then we will get started. God, our loving Father, we come before you hungry, not just for your word, but for your grace, for that which we need to be restored into right relationship with you each and every day. Lord, that as we come before your word this morning, that you would be at work in our hearts to speak to us that which we need to hear, to draw out of us that which you are calling out, to bring forth in our lives the fruit that you want to bear. And so, Father, we lay before you the burdens of our hearts that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word this morning. We give you our sins and our failures and disappointments, and we thank you for the forgiveness, mercy, and grace that are ours in Jesus Christ. We lift before you those relationships in our lives that are strained, and we pray for your peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We lift before you all of those whom we know and love who are sick or recovering from medical procedures or uncertain diagnoses, and we pray your healing mercies upon your people. We lift up our country, and our leaders at every level of government elected and appointed, and we pray for wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. We lift up our men and women in uniform who serve to protect and defend the freedoms we enjoy as Americans. We ask that you would watch over them and keep them safe. We pray especially for those who are in harm's way and ask that you would bring them home safely. We pray for those military families that are separated due to their service to our country, and we just pray that you would be at work in their hearts and lives to keep them connected to you and to each other. And we pray for those who have returned home from their service changed as a result of the sacrifices they've made for this country. And we pray, Father, that you would work out your healing mercies upon them, mind, body, and soul. Lord, use us to that end, to be agents of your light and your love in this dark and hurting world. We pray for your church here at Hope and around this globe that you would be at work through the ministry of your word, that your word would continue to go forth through your people, and that it would not return to you empty. And we lift up especially those young churches, uh, church plants that are at work in our state through our Presbytery's church planting efforts in Katy, in New Braunfels, and in Austin, and we just pray uh, your blessing over those young works of the Spirit. Um, be with us now as we open your word, open our hearts, and speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, this week we come to chapter 7 in the book of Isaiah. And I'm going to have to, or I feel the need to give a little bit of background as to what's going on, who the players are. This is a very, if you've never read through Isaiah before, which I would assume most of us maybe have not, but some of us have, and even if you have, you probably haven't just paid a lot of attention to the details of the various people involved in the story, and part of the problem when we're reading these ancient books is they don't always refer to places by their name. They have nicknames for everything. For example, in this passage that we're going to read in a moment, um, Israel is referred to as Ephraim, right? So if you don't know that, you're very confused. You're like, who is this guy? What's going on? Why, why don't they just call it what it is? Um, but 
that's, they had nicknames for almost everything around them. And you'll see that being in play in the, in the, the they'll name a king and they'll call him the son of, the son of, etc. And it can get confusing. We're going to try to sort some of that out in advance. So let me put up a map for you of this region of the world at the time that Isaiah was at work. So you will see in the upper right of this map the word Assyria. I want you to hold that there. That green footprint is the empire of Assyria, the military political entity called Assyria at the time of Isaiah. They are the biggest player in the world at this point. And um, Isaiah is way down here in Judah. To his left is Egypt. And then just above Judah, where Isaiah is in Jerusalem, is the what's left of the kingdom of Israel. And then above that is a small uh, political area called Syria. The reason this is so confusing is that because if you don't know that Syria and Assyria are two different entities, it can be very hard to keep track of what's going on in these passages. So just to kind of point that out up front, Isaiah is in this little postage stamp of a country called Judah. Israel is just north of him. Then Syria, which is within the empire of Assyria, which by the end of the book of Isaiah will be overrun by the Babylonian empire, but that's for another time. So at this point, we're just worried about making sure that we're clear on who the players are, where they are, and I just want you to pay attention while you're looking at the map at how small Israel and Syria are. They're, they're going to play a big role in today's text. And just notice how much bigger Assyria is. And you'll see why that's important in a little while. So <coughs> today's passage takes up a king of Judah. So after Solomon, after King Solomon in Israel, there was a civil war in Israel and the kingdom was divided between north and south. And Judah was this little bitty state that became its own country. It also happened to be where the capital was, and more importantly, where the temple was, and more importantly, where the altar of atonement sat. And so Judah became the, the sort of last remaining place where sin could be atoned for biblically. And thus sort of a, a remnant of a previous country called Israel. The king of Judah, when Isaiah is speaking in this context, was a guy named Ahaz. And if you just read chapter 7 by itself, you won't understand why Isaiah gets angry at Ahaz. It, doesn't, it seems like Ahaz says something very pious. Isaiah kind of loses it on him and goes into this rant, but let me try to explain. I'm going to read to you a passage that you do not have in front of you. I'm going to put it on the screen behind me. This is from 2 Chronicles chapter 28, just verses 1 um, through 4. And <coughs> this is a description of King Ahaz of Judah and who he was and what he did. This is just a partial description, but check this out. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign. So they put a 20-year-old in charge of the entire country. Great idea. Um, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. 
And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, which that's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. He even made metal images for the Baals, and he made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and burned his sons as an offering. Nice guy. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel, and he sanctified and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. And those are pagan offerings. Those are not offerings to the one God of, of Israel or Judah in that case. Ahaz, bad. Um, when you read through this passage, what Isaiah wants for Ahaz is for him to repent, to acknowledge his sinfulness and turn to the God who can save him. That is not what happens. And you'll see it unfold. But let me begin in Isaiah chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 1 through 22. All right? And uh, I'll just warn you, you don't get this most places. Right? Like most Sunday morning messages are based on one or two scriptures and they might jump around a little bit. We're doing almost the entire chapter 7 of the book of Isaiah. No extra charge. None at all. All right. <clears throat> Isaiah 7, beginning in verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Retzin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shirajashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear. And do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Retzin and Syria and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabael as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, the head of Damascus is Retzin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, 
and shall call his name Emmanuel. And he shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. In that day, the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the clefts of the rocks and on all the thorn bushes and on all the pastures. In that day, the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet, and it will sweep away the beard also. In that day, a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep, and because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds, for everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. I promise I'll explain. If I forget, remind me. So, let me try to just summarize what's happened. Two little tribes to the north of the kingdom of Judah have teamed up together to take down Jerusalem and the little kingdom of Judah, where Ahaz is king and Isaiah is the prophet. And Ahaz is freaking out. He's like, I got two countries against one. I don't know what I'm going to do. Everybody's scared. And <coughs> what you don't see in this passage, you can find it elsewhere in Scripture, what happens is Ahaz thinks he's smarter than God. And instead of turning to his God for help, instead of repenting of what's going on inside of himself, he sends an emissary to the empire of Assyria, the big guy, and says, can you protect us from these people who are trying to assault us? Well, what do you think the king of Assyria says? Sure, for a price, I'd be happy to help you. So by the end of Ahaz's reign, he is a vassal state of the Assyrian empire because he was afraid of these two little tribes next to him teaming up. And they did team up against him, and they did cause military, military losses uh, in his lifetime under his reign. And instead of doing what Isaiah was suggesting, which is turning from his sins and turning back to his God, he thought he could outsmart his creator. And so that's where we are today. In, in, in our understanding of this passage, where I want you to kind of begin is with this call to not take matters into your own hands, but as a child of God, to learn the discipline of how to wait. This is no easy thing, right? Uh, I am not a very patient man. I'm a Texan. Uh, that's incongruous with patience, I think. I'm pretty sure. I'm human, which is also incongruous with patience. I don't like to wait. God says, wait. Just wait. Trust me. 
hang on. I'm not done. And so I want us to sort of begin with this call that we see in this passage to look past the immediate of our circumstances, to look past the immediate things that threaten us or that make us feel threatened in this life. And I don't know specifically what that is for you, right? Whether it's, um, you know, how much, how much bank account you have left at the end of the month. I don't know if it's you're worried about your kids. I don't know if you're worried about uh, your future, your present, your past. I, I don't know, right? But we all are in the same boat in that we have these immediate threats to our condition as human beings that reign large in our minds, in our hearts, and in our lives. And God says, wait. I I want you to look past what's just right in front of you. I want you to look past the immediate. I want you to not sweat the small stuff. Now, I don't know about you, I'm married, and never in the history of my marriage or any other marriage has it ever worked to look at my loving spouse and say, honey, calm down. Right? That doesn't work. It works for you? No, I don't do it. Not now. Right? And so when Ahaz is freaking out about his immediate circumstances and Isaiah comes to him and says, dude, calm down, right? It's actually what God wants Ahaz to do, but that's not how you get a person to to calm down, right? It's not how it works. God knows this. Isaiah knows this. And so it throws Ahaz into this um, kind of tailspin. And I'll just say it this way. When Isaiah says, hey, be calm, be still, wait, Ahaz flips. And so later in the passage, we'll get to that in a minute, when Isaiah says, God wants you to ask him for a sign so that he can demonstrate to you that he's in charge. And Ahaz Ahaz waves it off. He says, I don't want, nope, I'm not going to test the Lord. He's actually quoting a scripture for, that's older than this one, and he's, he's playing the pious card. But Isaiah knows this is not a pious man, but he's actually hiding behind a false piety because he doesn't want the sign from God to prove that he should wait. And so we, as God's children, are not to sweat the small stuff. That is, we're not to be controlled by our circumstances, and we are not to be controlled by our fears. This is easily said, but always true, in spite of how difficult it is to realize in real time. Isaiah looks at what Ahaz is freaking out about, and he's like, seriously? These chumps? Actually, he calls them stumps, right? These losers? The, you're, fr- you're afraid of this? Have you heard about Assyria? Might be a bigger concern, just saying, right? 
And here's what God had told to his people and to his kings. If you will repent, if you will turn your hearts back to me, I will save you. I will prevent calamity and destruction from befalling your land if you will repent. And so Ahaz's calling in this situation is not to run, do an end around to the empire of Assyria to get assurance and security for his nation. It's to fall to his knees, to repent of his sins, and to lead his nation in repentance. Ironically, his son will do this. And, and it's because, and I, I, I never paid attention to these kinds of details until we did run through the Bible a few years ago, a couple years ago, and we looked at this, this sequence of miracle moms in the history of redemption. So what an irredeemable soul Ahaz is, he is married to a woman called Abiyah, or Abijah, if you read it like an English person in your Bible. And she is a godly woman, and she raises a son named Hezekiah who will be a godly king, who will actually bring God's people back to him in repentance. And so it's just a stark contrast between this idiot and the son that, he will, that his wife will raise that will bring Israel back into the proper and good relationship with God. But we'll, that's, you'll see that develop farther along in the book. We're not to be controlled by our circumstances or our fears. We're not to sweat the small stuff, but rather we are to come to terms with the bigger issue. That is what's going on inside of my heart, my sin, my rebellion against God, What's wrong here? We are to deal with our sin. This is what Isaiah is trying to get Ahaz to do, is to wake up, repent, and give his sin to his creator. And then at the very end of verse 9, Isaiah says this amazing thing to Ahaz. If you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. How true is that? And Isaiah, if you think about the guts that it took to say that to the king of Judah, wow. Like he just stood toe to toe with a man who had the authority to run him through and said, you're a faithless fool. If you want, if you want true safety and security, Repent, and by faith, come back into right relationship with your creator. If you can't live by faith, you can't live at all. Knowing full well that Ahaz was not a man of faith. So, God wants us to look past our immediate circumstances. Those things which beset us which threaten us, which evoke fear within us. He wants us to realize there's a, there's a bigger threat. It's your sin. 
and it's your pride, and it's your selfishness, and it's all these aspects of your humanity that get in the way of your relationship with God. Give them to me. I will deal with them. And so as we look past the immediate, we are also to know in this passage and in our own hearts that God is with us. So Isaiah is talking to the king and says, ask for a sign. King says, I will not. I will not test the Lord my God like he's some kind of saint, right? And if I'm not mistaken, he actually quotes Moses there. It's probably an accident. I don't think he had read Moses. But <clears throat> I will not put the Lord my God to, to the test. And Isaiah's like, okay. Let me explain to you what's going to happen. You're worried about these little pipsqueaks over here. But within 65 years, they won't even exist. They won't be entities to worry about. There's a much bigger threat just north of all of us that's going to sweep through this land and cover, their empire will cover from the rivers of Egypt to the borders of modern-day Afghanistan. This is, a, this is a big threat, and you're worried about these little guys. But really, the biggest threat is within you. It's your heart. It's the fact that you won't listen to what God says to you. And so, as Isaiah says, fine, dude, okay. You don't want to listen? You don't want to obey? God will give you a sign. And so what Isaiah does here, beginning in uh, verse... No, uh, 14, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before he knows how to refuse the evil, choose the good, the land of whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah the king of Assyria. So what Isaiah is doing is he's giving a time stamp to the king. He says, you don't have to worry about these two little guys. Within just a couple of generations, the king of Assyria will own all of this real estate. And he's coming. Because you're not going to repent. You're not going to listen. You're not going to return to the God who loves you. And all of this is playing into God's plan. He even goes forward to say this king of Assyria will shave the land from head to toe. He's going to remove every political entity between here and Egypt. And so as Isaiah relates this to Ahaz, the first thing we see, it, so I want to just pause for a second, and right there in the middle of this is the word Emmanuel. So <clears throat> let me try to set some parameters here. The word Emmanuel is, is a loaded word. Isaiah just took the Messiah gun and went chink, chink, and chambered around, right? And 
he's standing in front of Hezekiah, giving him a time frame. And in the middle of this time frame is this giant word, God will be with us. So any Jewish reader, listener, anyone who heard that name, Emmanuel, would have gone, whoa, that's a big word. And I put in your bulletin the excerpt from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, where Matthew, who was Jewish and was writing to a Jewish audience, lays claim to this verse as a messianic verse. I would argue that Isaiah, when he said it, knew this was a messianic, a loaded word. The timestamp was not the timestamp of the birth of the Messiah. The timestamp was the timestamp of the coming of Assyria to wipe these other two kingdoms off the face of the earth. But in the middle of that, this giant word is dropped by the prophet through the inspiration of God into the laps of his people. God will be with us. This is the promise of the restoration of Eden, that God will be with us, that we will be in his presence, that we will live with him in harmony and in joy. And in the middle of an of a unleashing of God's judgment upon a prideful king, is this word just dropped like a bomb of glory. God will be with you. He's not speaking to Ahaz as much as he's speaking to the people that Ahaz governs. God will be with you. And so the Messiah, this messianic hope, is born into Ahaz's rebellion. Ahaz, and our rebellion, right? Ahaz does does not respond to, uh, to God's request for him to ask for a sign. He, he ignores, he doesn't want to exercise faith. And that word is dropped in the midst of Ahaz's rebellion. And that Messiah is born into the midst of our devastation. So, this, you saw this weird language that this boy will eat curds and honey. That sounds pretty good. That's like, uh, I don't know, what curds do we like? You're from Wisconsin. Cheese curds are awesome. Yeah, fried cheese curds, come on. And then cover them in honey? Oh, let's go eat, right? So <coughs> curds and honey sounds great. What Isaiah is saying is, Ahaz, Einstein, it's going to get bad. You're worried about these two clowns, and there's a dude coming who's going to leave nothing for you to eat. Your city will be turned into a ranch. Cattle will be grazing in the streets of what was once a city. The people will largely be slept aw swept away, and the few who are left will be able to grab a cow and pull out as much milk as they want because there's not going to be anybody left. And all they're going to have to eat is what comes out of that cow or they find in the wild from the bees because there's not going to be any crops. There's not going to be um, any feasting. There's not going to be any vineyards from which you can press grapes and make wine. You're going to be eating what you can find. And so this 
is Isaiah's statement to Ahaz. If you remain in your rebellion, if you remain in your sin, there will be devastation to face as a result. So I relate to this on so many levels, on a personal level. Um, you know, I think about I think about my own sin and the devastation that that wreaks or wrecks in in my life and the p- the people around me, the the um, you know, let's just take a, a something selfish that I'll say to my wife, right? And I'm supposed to be her champion, the one who makes her feel cherished. And I'll get angry, and I'll lash out, and I'll say something that undermines that calling that I have as a husband. Because I'm human, I'm selfish, and my sin causes devastation. Emmanuel, God is with us. God is with me in that moment. God is with my wife in that moment. And there is hope that I will wake up and turn from my selfishness and repent of my sin, that I will confess my sin to my God and to the person against whom I've sinned, and that I will return into right relationship with him and with others. That's what God is trying to bring about through this passage, is showing us that if we stick it out like Ahaz, our own sin will bring about its own destruction. It's not going to work out better than God's plan. But if we can live by faith, if we can look to the God who wants to be with us, who loves us, who forgives us, who is there to redeem us from our sin, we can have the restoration that our souls desire. That Messiah, Emmanuel, is born into our rebellion, it is born into our devastation, and the Messiah is born to deal with with our sin. This is why we are to turn to him, because he can finally give us rest and sanctuary from the devastation of our sin. There's this powerful metaphor that Isaiah uses um, in verses 18 and 19. In that day, the Lord will whistle. You might do better to call it buzz. It'll it'll work better with the metaphor. in that day, the Lord will buzz for the fly that's in the end of the, ends of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. They will all come and settle in the steep ravines and the clefts of the rocks and on the thorn bushes and all the pastures. In other words, there's no place you're going to be able to hide from the army of the king of Assyria. They're going to be everywhere. They're going to take over. And in that, from that devastation, the Messiah is born to give us rest from our enemies. In verse 20, you see this metaphor of being shaved from head to toe. And the, the shame of a, of a captured soldier in ancient times who would be pressed down to the ground and held there and have his beard shaved off by the sword of his enemy. In other words, if I wanted to, I could cut off your head. And I'm going to have you walk around your world in this state where it's obvious to everyone that you were defeated, that you are 
not the man you thought you were. And out of that, our Messiah is born to take away our humiliation. He gives us rest and sanctuary. He takes away our humiliation, and he is there to rebuild our ruins that are if we are like Hezekiah, our cities will become ranches. They will be a wasteland. And if we turn to this God who wants to be with us, the rebuilding begins. The restoration begins. We can find forgiveness. We can find wholeness. We can find peace. Because we all, like Ahaz, begin in this state of separation from God and rebellion. And when we, by faith, look to him and we claim that promise that God will be with us, we are forgiven through Christ. We are restored. We are granted peace and sanctuary in our hearts. And we find in him this eternal peace and salvation that transcends this world. Will you pray with me? God, our loving Father, we marvel at your word and we thank you that you are the God who is with us, that you have called us to live by faith, to see the promise that is ours in Christ, to look toward the hope of the Messiah in the midst of our circumstances, to look past the immediate and to see that glimmer of hope and grace and love that is ours through Jesus Christ, to know that you are always the God who is with us, the God who forgives, the God who restores, the God who grants peace and rest and sanctuary to our souls for eternity. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.